I'm so blessed to be able to share God's word with you as we continue on with our series, God's Goals. Right? God goals for you and for me in our life. If you've been with us the last couple of weeks, we've examined how God really does have goals for you and for me, God's dearly redeemed children. And today, I'm privileged to share with you a message on God's goal for you, for me, as it pertains to our work, our vocation, because God has redeemed everything. And I pray that it'll be an uplifting message for you. I'm, I'm confident it will be. Before we begin, and we're going to be taking a look at Zechariah chapter 14. So one of the minor prophets, uh, we'll get to his text uh, a little bit into the sermon, so I'll explain it then. But before we get started, let's open it with a prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. You are our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. So in a couple weeks from today, you, your families, I'm guessing, many of us, kind of an American tradition, we're going to be gathered around a widescreen TV watching Super Bowl 54, right? I saw the Roman numerals. I had to look it up. I couldn't remember how that worked. But it's 54. That's where we're at. That's where we're at. Gets you thinking about other Super Bowls in the past. I just thought about last year's Super Bowl which, does anybody remember last year's Super Bowl? It was less than memorable, I thought. The New England Patriots won the Super Bowl last year against the LA Rams, and the score was a whopping 13-3. to But that really came towards the end of the game. It was like 3-3 to at halftime, so wow, like two field goals for like half my life, it felt. So, but I bring this up, Tom Brady, of course, with that Super Bowl win, he gained his sixth Super Bowl ring. That's pretty amazing. That's like two more than the other guy, Joe Montana. I'm not a big 49ers fan, especially not today, am I right? <laughs> so, but uh, Tom Brady, on top of the world, six Super Bowl rings more than any other quarterback in the history of the NFL. And you think a guy like that, standing on top of the world, would just be so excited about all his accomplishments and all that he attained. But take a look. I, I got a thought from him I wanted to share with you. After winning the Super Bowl numerous times, Tom Brady said in an interview on 60 Minutes, why do I have all these Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life. Me, I think, God, it's got to be more than this. I mean, this isn't, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. And the interviewer, he asked him the question, well, then what is the answer? And sadly, Tom, he replied, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. Isn't that just sad? I mean, here he is, Super Bowl champion, six times running through with six rings. And at the end of it all, he reflects and thinks, there's got to be something more. Now, if Tom Brady is saying that about his career, his life, <laughs> that kind of makes me kind of cry and want to curl up in a fetal position myself about my work, my job, your jobs too. Are you, are you with me a little bit in this? Are you asking the same thought? I mean, if he's standing on top of the world with his accomplishments and thinks there's got to be something more, how are you feeling about your job and your accomplishments? <sighs> Let me, let me just ask you this. How many of you are, are really happy with your job? You want to raise your hands? 
Okay, you can leave now. I have nothing for you. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> now, I, I'm with you. I, I love my job. Don't get me wrong. But I didn't see every hand go up, and <clears throat> I'm guessing that some of you are, are maybe a little dissatisfied, maybe not happy. Maybe some of you think, well, I don't, I don't have a job. I'm re- retired. But, whoa, there's a lot of work in retirement, so you have a job. You have a calling. Maybe some of you are students, and you're thinking, I don't have a job yet. Well, no, your job is to go to school. And that's a big job. That's a hard job. I think for most of us, we're not terribly happy. We're not satisfied. Not happy all the time. In fact, uh, Gary D. Foster's uh, consultation group, a Christian consultation group, they report that 72% of Americans, American employees, uh, they would take another job in a heartbeat if they could. <laughs> 72% of Americans. They also report that the average American worker changes jobs or career paths five times in their life. It sounds like there's a lot of Tom Brady's out there. (laughs) Kind of wondering, like, God, it's got to be more than this. And I don't know where you're at. I don't know how you feel about your work, your job. But I'm guessing sometimes you're wondering if there's something more. Sometimes in those worst moments when everything seems so frustrating, when it seems like you're getting nowhere... I wonder sometimes if you feel like, well, King Solomon, as he wrote in Ecclesiastes 3, that it's a chasing after the wind, that it is meaningless, that it's mundane, and what's the point? And so we set goals, right? It's a, it's a new year. I'm guessing you have some goals that you've set for yourself. 2020, I'm guessing some of those goals will pertain to a job, especially if you're not so satisfied. What are your goals? And even more, do you think God has a goal for you and your work? And from the scriptures, we see that he does. And we're going to see God's goal for you and for me and our work is unbelievable. It is truly life-changing. There is good news for you, especially if you think your work is meaningless. But before we jump into Zechariah 14, I, I should work with you to substantiate the truth that Work is good. Work is a gift. In fact, God created us to work. Uh, You can see that right at the beginning of the scriptures. In Genesis chapters 1 and 2, you you see God at work. God created all the world in six days, and as the crown of his work, it was you and me and Adam and Eve, our first parents. And they took a day of rest. We'll get to that next week. But then... He gave Adam and Eve work to do. He put them right in this perfect garden, the Garden of Eden. Genesis 2.15 says, He gave them the ground to work. And they were to rule over all things. Work is good. I say that because sometimes I feel like when we're in the thick of things, when it feels like toil and suffering and pain, and we don't want to go to work on Monday morning, sometimes we feel like work's from the devil. And I can't wait to clock in, clock out, so I can do what I really want to do. God would have us have a completely different attitude. Again, the work you've been given, the work that you have, God's got something special in mind for you. So work is from God. Work is a gift. And that's why we shouldn't be surprised throughout the scriptures to see passages that warn against laziness. You know, sometimes we can get a little bit lazy. We can shirk our responsibility. Maybe it's because we, we don't find a lot of meaning in what we do. God would warn against that. 
got a couple favorite passages of mine uh, as it comes to work. But before we get there, uh, just fill this out. This is the question we'll be tackling today. Ever wonder about your work like Tom Brady? God, it's got to be more than this. I want to share with you then those two passages about laziness. First one is 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10. The Apostle Paul says here to the Thessalonians who were getting a little lazy. They thought, well, Jesus could come anytime, so why work? Paul said, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. And my guess is a lot of people like to eat, right? In fact, parents out there, I'd kind of give you some advice. If your kids are struggling to do their chores, this is a great passage to go to. <laughs> no supper tonight until you're done with your chores. That's a life lesson. It's true. God doesn't want us to be lazy. God has gifted us with many talents to put to his, his work to, to glorify him. Another one I love, Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6. The writer of the Proverbs says here, Go to the ant, you slacker. <clears throat> I love that, right? In the Bible, you slacker. Uh, KJV, I think, is you sluggard. That's a good one, too. Go to the ant, you slacker. Observe its ways and become wise. I wish it were a summer day because then we could just go right out and probably find a trail of ants somewhere gathering food, right? And how hard they work. The Lord God says, look, I want you to be like that. I want you to be at work. I want you to do some great things. Often we lose that. And maybe we're tempted then to become lazy, which reminds me of a, there's a joke uh, about a guy who was absolutely lazy. There's actually a point to it, so I'll, I'll share it with you. We got time. Packers game isn't for another couple hours, so. <laughs> the joke goes this way, that there's a man who was outright lazy, downright lazy, and his family's really bothered by it. So they said, hey, get, get some work. Go and get a job. The guy started talking about, well, he's got medical issues, health problems. So his family said, okay, if you do, then you need to see a doctor. You need to get a diagnosis, and then we'll believe you. So he goes off to the doctor, and they run a bunch of tests. They ask a bunch of questions. Uh, it just seems like it took hours and hours. Finally, they're all done. It takes a few days to get all the results back. When they do, they call him back in. The doctor sits down with them. The man facing the doctor just says it to him straight, says, Doc, tell me what I've got. And none of this complicated, confusing medical jargon, just give it to me straight. What do I got? Because I got to go home and tell my family. The doctor looks down at his notes and uh, he looks up with a, a look of disgust. He says to the man, look, we ran all these tests and you're perfectly healthy. You're absolutely fine. I fear you're just downright lazy. Seemed to bother the guy. Thought about it for a moment. Then he responded to his doctor, okay now, doc, could you tell me that again, but with some kind of complicated medical jargon that's really confusing, because i got to tell my family this. So, Isn't that how it is with laziness? Nobody wants to admit they're being lazy. And, and we can hide behind all sorts of excuses, and so much so that we can actually believe we're busy about so many things, refusing to see that we're lazy about the bigger things. And so I think of those two passages. I think about when Paul says, hey, he doesn't work, won't eat. I think about the Proverbs that says, look, you slacker, go and see the ant. See how that ant is so diligent and, and observe and become wise. If you and I, by chance, might be lazy and might not even be able to see it, I would wonder, could we be humble enough just to ask a close loved one, a Christian family friend, a family member, and just ask them about our work ethic? 
You know, tell it to me straight. How am I doing? And if they would be so kind enough to say, yeah, sometimes you just kind of shirk your responsibility. Sometimes you could do more and you don't. Think further. What's the root issue? My guess is the root issue is, again, frustration over your work. There's not a lot of seeing it, a lot of meaning to it. That you just don't have a reason to do it. And you're not alone in that. And that's where the Lord's message for us tonight is so beautiful. Because for those who are lazy, Jesus comes and says, you know, I forgive you. And I've done all the work that's needed. Here, take my righteousness. It's yours. You're a dear child of God. You're forgiven. And you know, just as I rose from the dead too, you have been given new life. And you're a masterpiece before God. And what you do means something. And what you do is really the works of God prepared in advance for us to do. Just like we heard earlier in the service. And so these are the works of God really before us. And, and now how exciting is it to see what those works accomplish? And that's God's goal for us, that we would see how beautiful it is, the work that's before us, that we have to do, that it does come from God and it means everything to him. Zechariah chapter 14 is going to lead us along with that view. And so let's take a look at the first part of Zechariah, uh, verses 5 through 9, and then we'll take a look at 20 through 21. I'm going to break it up into four different parts, really. But just to kind of brush off our Old Testament history, Zechariah is kind of a minor prophet, uh, one of the 12 minor prophet works that we have. So it's probably not really well known. But, but what he says here in the very last chapter is exhilarating. Zechariah lived about 500 years before Jesus set foot on the planet here in flesh and blood and your flesh and blood and mine to be our savior. So 500 years before Jesus comes, and yet Zechariah saw exactly what it would mean when Christ would come. Zechariah was living in a critical time for God's people, by the way, which makes this picture even more beautiful. They had just come out of Babylonian captivity. They'd been there for about 70 years and, and think of this, just the history of a nation. Whenever they're taken captive, they, they never return. They lose their identity. So they had this promise that after 70 years, they would return. They would rebuild Judah, and they would rebuild the temple, and God would be faithful to his promise. A savior would still come. So there's a lot riding on their return. And finally, God is good. I mean, for 70 years, worrying, will God really remember us? They're back. And Haggai and Zechariah are cheering the people on. And they're rebuking the people too because they were getting a little bit lazy about the things of God. But then they set the stage and they say, look at the work God has put before you. God's got some great things coming. And when Christ comes, you'll see it. And you'll know that your work's not in vain. So let's build this temple. And so this is the last vision that Zechariah would have. And again, I'll read that to you, just the first part, and I'll break it down just so you get his understanding more of his vision. He says, the Lord my God will come, and all the holy ones with him. Jesus will come with all the holy ones. On that day, there will be neither sunlight nor cold, frosty darkness. Uh, So no Januaries in Wisconsin when Jesus comes again, huh? Hallelujah. That's great. It will be a unique day, a day known only to the Lord, with no distinction between day and night. 
Well, but that, from our perspective, just sounds a lot like Christ's second coming. But when Zechariah saw this, and you'll see how this plays out in the next few sections. When Zechariah saw this, he saw both his first and Jesus' second coming. And there's a beautiful theme that connects the two. When Christ first came, he began to change everything. And we see that playing out in increasing measure until he comes again. And finally, when Christ returns, when he comes again, everything will be fulfilled. Everything will end up where there is no more night, only light, only God. And he claims everything. And so a prophet in the Old Testament, when they were looking ahead to Jesus, and maybe you've heard this before, it's kind of like looking at a mountain range in the distance. Kind of mountains all seem to line up shoulder to shoulder. But as you get closer, of course, you see one mountain and you can see the next one's a little distance away. But it's one mountain range. That's the same with Jesus in his first and second coming. He plants the seed of the gospel and it begins to flourish in increasing measure until the end when it's all fulfilled. I'll give you an example. The next thought here. When evening comes, there will be light. And on that day, this is a metaphor now, living water will flow out from Jerusalem, half of it east to the Dead Sea and half of it west to the Mediterranean Sea in summer and in winter when that wouldn't even be possible. Why don't we just stop there and I'll read the rest in a moment. So Zechariah sees that when Christ comes, living water is going to flow out of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, as uh, you'll see in a few weeks, if you're going with Pastor Mike uh, overseas, and you're going to see the Holy Land. Um, Jerusalem isn't known for its water. (laughs) Jerusalem's not known for its lakes or anything. And yet, Zechariah sees that out of Jerusalem will come bubbling up living water. And it'll reach to the greatest of seas that they knew, the Dead Sea and the Mediterranean Sea. It's a picture of something beautiful spreading throughout the world. And isn't that exactly what Jesus offers to us in his first coming, ultimately rolling into his second? Jesus said to a poor woman at the well in Samaria, John 4, that he was living water. And that anyone who believed in him would well up with springs of living water. And you and I who have tasted of the Lord, who have drunk down everything that he is, you and I know that he is that living water. But when he was just getting going, how many followers did he have? How many people were drinking from his cup? Not many. In fact, when he died on the cross, who was there? And yet, when he rose, and 40 days after, and when people began to preach in his name on Pentecost, 50 days after, 3,000 people began to drink of that living water. And that living water came out of Jerusalem. And that living water began to spread, just as Jesus said, from Jerusalem, through Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth, till to this day, on the other side of the world, here we are, those living waters have flowed right out of Jerusalem, past the Dead Sea, past the Mediterranean Sea, in increasing measure. And it will be that way, absolutely so, when he comes again. So do you see how the first and second comings of Christ are all seen with that beautiful theme of the increase of God's kingdom? How Jesus changes everything? Because in the last part of Zechariah, you'll see how it even touches your job, affects your life and your career. Moving on to that next part there. The Lord will be king over the whole earth. On that day, there will be one Lord in his name, the only name. And we can see how this is true too in Christ's first and second coming. In his first coming, he was acknowledged as king. 
Pilate recognized that. In fact, he was enthroned on a cross where he did the king's work of saving his people. And then when he ascended 40 days later, he sat at the Father's right hand to rule over all things for you and for me. And on Pentecost, there were 3,000 who were following, bowing down to Jesus as the king, as the Christ. And fast forward 2,000 years later, he reigns. Two billion souls around the world proclaiming Jesus to be the Christ, to be the king. You can see that what Zechariah saw in the first and second coming is not really just two different events, but one that ushers in the next. And God's kingdom spreads and everything changes, including your job, my job, our careers. Let's take a look specifically then at that beautiful picture that Zechariah saw of how Christ changes everything. God's goal for you and your work. He says, on that day, beginning in first coming of Christ, ultimately fulfilled in the second, but every day in between, on that day, holy to the Lord will be inscribed on the bells of the horses, so on what they rode and the cooking pots, the simple things they did at home, the mundane work of cooking. Holy to the Lord will be inscribed on the cooking pots in the Lord's house. They'll be like the sacred bowls in front of the altar. So no more secular and sacred, but everything is sacred and precious to God. And every pot in Jerusalem and Judah will be holy to the Lord Almighty. And all who come to sacrifice will take some of the pots and cook in them. And that will be sacred too. And on that day, there will no longer be a Canaanite or a non-believer in the house of the Lord Almighty. You see, Zechariah saw that when Jesus would come, again, everything would change. Not just your identity, but even everything you do. Everything in the Lord would be sacred. Even the most mundane jobs would have meaning. Could I illustrate that for us a little bit better? Because I love the picture and I love this idea that everything has holy to the Lord on it, especially for his people. But how does that work when I show up on Monday morning and I'm just frustrated and I hate my job? How does it work for you? Well, there is this man that was... uh, somewhat curious about this job site that was going on in his neighborhood. And he was kind of wondering, well, what were they building? So it wasn't enough to see as far as the foundation being laid and, and so on. So he decided to wander into the construction site. And he decided to ask a few of the workers what they were doing. So he comes with this first worker, and he asks the man, so hey, what are you guys doing? What are you working on? And the guy who was just chiseling a stone, he was pretty irritated. Apparently it wasn't going well for him. He says, you know, just leave me alone. I'm trying to carve out the stone. Just go bother somebody else. Okay, so he goes and he asks another worker. He says, so hey, uh, what are you guys doing here? What are you working on? And the guy says, oh, me? What am I working on? What am I I working for? I guess the paycheck at the end of the week, you know? Friday night's coming. Got to live life. Okay. Doesn't invite him to the party or anything like that. So the guy goes on. He goes to the third person who's working there, doing the same thing, and he asks, so will someone, will you just tell me what you guys are working on? What what are you building here? What are you doing? This third man stands up and with a heart full of pride, he said, I'm serving my Lord, and we're building a church. It's all the same job, isn't it? Those three different people, all chiseling out stone. 
And yet the perspectives were completely different. And this is all about what Christ does when he came. And even today is with us and will be fulfilled when he comes again. It's the perspective. It's the understanding of what's really going on behind the scenes. And so if you're taking notes today, let's go ahead and fill in some of the blanks here. Three different perspectives. The first person that that man encountered and asked what he was doing, what his work was like, he only saw the mundane and he longed for something more. Kind of sounds like 72% of Americans today who maybe changed their careers, their jobs, and there's nothing wrong with that necessarily. Some five times in a lifetime. They only see the mundane. They can't see more. And then the second guy, he only saw the paycheck at week's end. And some of us can fall into that trap too, right? Well, I guess the pay is good, so I'll keep at it until maybe something different comes along. It pays the bills, allows me to have a little bit more of the life I want to have. But like Tom Brady, God, there's got to be something more. And really, wasn't Tom Brady feeling that? As great as a Super Bowl ring is to maybe many people, to him, it's mundane. And the money, well, I've already got enough. There's got to be something more. It was the third person that saw things clearly. He saw he was serving Jesus and building the capital C church with what he was doing. Whether or not really he was even building a physical church. And that's what God is saying to you today through Zechariah. Your work matters. And if you feel like it's fruitless, it's meaningless, it's mundane, you're only doing for the paycheck, set your sights higher. See what Jesus claims for you in your work. See the impact that you're making. You're not just working, you're building the church It's just like the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10 when he said, whatever it is that you do, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it to the glory of the Lord. That's it. When you do your work, you do it to the glory of the Lord. Let me illustrate it further and get real practical here. Let's say after the message winds down and when the offering boxes come around, Let's say instead of putting parts of your finances, portions of your finances in those offering boxes, what if I just said tonight, I want you to think of an object that best symbolizes your work that you do, your your primary vocation, which by the way, vocation, it's a beautiful word with a Latin root. It's where we get the word voice. It's a calling. It's God's calling to you. That's your job. I I want you to have an object in mind of what best symbolizes your work. Your primary vocation. So if you're a CEO among us, maybe it would be your nameplate on your desk. I'd ask that you would put that in the offering box. Uh, If you're an administrative assistant and you file a lot of papers, I would ask that you put a manila folder in the box. If you're a mother of uh, some young kids and you're changing a lot of diapers, I'd ask that you would actually put a diaper in the box. Clean or dirty, it doesn't matter to me. That's real work, though. That's real work, people, right? And maybe you don't have a job. Maybe you're retired or maybe you're at school. Maybe you're a grandma or grandpa and you have a lot of things that you're doing, but you kind of feel like after your career, I don't know what my purpose is. Well, hear the word of God. You have purpose. You're a beautiful masterpiece. And God has works. 
he's prepared in advance for you to do. And it means something. And maybe your grandma or grandpa that takes care of the grandkids for a little bit. And then put your cheaters in the offering boxes as they come around. Because you see your grandkids through those glasses. And it means something. What you do in the name of Jesus. And as I said, if, if you go to school, put a textbook in those boxes. If you love to go to the gym, so just a hobby, then put a 60-pound dumbbell in one of those boxes. I'd love to see the ushers deal with that. That'd be kind of fun. So, or if a coach or whatever, put a whistle in there. You got an idea? An object in your mind? I want you to fill it in your blank. Go ahead and write it down. Something that symbolizes what you do. Something that maybe is a point of frustration for you at times. I want you to hear your Lord and Savior speak to that. Imagine Jesus saying to you right now, look, give me all that you have. Yes, give me your sins. Yes, I want to take your sins. I've already dealt with them on the cross. Those are gone. I forgive you. You're loved. My blood covers you. Give me your sin. Yes. But I want more. Oh, yeah, yeah. Give me your prayers. I want your concerns on your heart. I, I want to know about your health issues. I want to know about your relationship struggles. I want to know about your family members that you care about, that you're worried for. Give that to me too. I want it all. And I promise you, by my precious blood, I will work it out for your eternal well-being. I swear my blood on it. But I want more. You know that object that you put in the box? Symbolizes the work that you do the frustration, the toilsome work that you do. I want that too. I claim that too. And here's what I'll do with it. As you go about your CEO business and your business ventures, I will be your hands and you will be my hands and feet. And I will work through you. And what you do will be in service to me. And I will see my church be built so that by your wealth, you welcome friends into eternal dwellings. And if you are filing papers and you feel like, what's the point? I want to encourage you. I mean, what would happen to all those patients and all those papers if you didn't file them faithfully? You will be my hands and my feet to them. And as you file those papers away, know you're serving me. This is of eternal importance. What you do matters. And if you're a mother and you're changing the millionth diaper, know that Jesus says, let me be your hands and feet and you be me. And I will serve that beautiful child. Even as you change their diaper and you serve me, it matters. This is a pleasing aroma to the Lord God. I kid you not. That's the beauty of the work. Whether you're a grandma or grandpa, those glasses, that's all for the Lord. That textbook, it's all for the Lord. That dumbbell's all for the Lord. That whistle's all for the Lord. It's all for the Lord. And you build the church. You build the church by your thoughts and words and actions, by working more than just through the mundane, more than just for a paycheck, but for His glory. And when people see that joy in your heart, They'll want your job. They'll want to do what it is that you do because of what you know. And that's how Christ changes everything. And so that last thought, that object you have in mind, 
This is God's goal for you. God's goal is to let Jesus write holy to the Lord all over it. From the car that you drive to the meals that you cook at home, it's all for the Lord. And when we say it's all for the Lord, it means he remembers and he finds it beautiful and he finds it meaningful because he puts meaning into it. And if no one else remembers, oh, he will. And for eternity. Is that your goal for work? If not, let it be your goal. And may it be mine. May we spend our lives and our careers and whatever we do, just writing Jesus' beautiful name all over it. Yes, this too is holy to the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we give you thanks that, that you give us satisfaction even in the most mundane of tasks. And Lord, as we wrestle with this truth, as we even find frustration on Monday morning, Lord, help us to remember that you've prepared these things for us to do and that you're pleased by them, all for the sake of Christ who did all the work necessary. Then Lord, help us to see that in our everyday to life, day of life, in our nine to five, when we grab our paychecks, that we've done something more than just what the world does. That we've built a church. And then Lord, open the eyes of people like Tom Brady. Help people to see that their accomplishments, yes, mean nothing apart from you, but mean everything in you. Help them to see that all of this is for your glory. And your glory is the saving of souls. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.